psalmist. And we're going to go into the great forest. And I want to camp under the stars. And I want to take the time to look at what he looks at. And I want to be able to see what it is that he sees. And when he stops and looks at this tree hovering above him, I want to look straight up. And I want to look into the branches with him. When he stops and looks at the stream, I want to stop. And I want to look at the stream as well. When he tells me to be quiet, and he points to the bushes, I want to stop talking. And I want to look, and I want to expect to see something in those bushes. So... This psalm that we start, that we read, starts out with, um, "We should praise God." And, and in fact, the essence of the psalm is praising God. So, as we look at this as well, I want to look at three, kind of answer three different questions this morning. I want to answer why should we praise God. I want to answer what should we praise God for. And I want to answer what happens to us when we praise God. So the Bible says, "Praise God." Let me say that again. The Bible says, praise God. What was the first thing that went through your mind when I said the Bible says, praise God? Was it like, oh, this is going to be great. I praise God all the time. Or is it, oh, great, one more thing that I don't do, <laughs> just, to, just to make me feel guilty about this? Or was it like, you know, I don't really know what to praise him for. Or I don't have any idea even how to praise God. It just seems foreign. You know, we all have these thoughts, right, and they automatically come into our mind. And it's difficult sometimes to put those thoughts aside and to enter into the spirit of the writing. But today we really, really want to enter into that spirit of the writing. Because we're talking about praising God. And without the heart involved, it's really not praise at all. Because praise requires the heart to be involved. And so you don't need to be a theologian. And you don't need to be a scholar. And you don't need to know everything. You need to be able to see and to think and to feel. And um, this, is I want, this is what I want to do today. And I want the psalmist today to show us how to praise God so that we can follow his example. So let me just open with prayer. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we want to learn how to praise you, Lord. We want to know how. Sometimes we do it. And it's natural. Sometimes we don't, and we don't know how to do it, or we don't know how to start. But we do know, Lord, that we want our heart and our soul and our minds engaged today, Lord, especially our heart, especially our soul. I just pray for your Holy Spirit, Lord, to ignite those today, to let us feel, to let us experience praise this morning as we walk with the psalmist through uh, this psalm. In your precious name we pray, amen. So the psalm we're looking at today is Psalm number 33. Again, it's Psalm 33 that we're going to be looking at. So, we begin our hike with the psalmist. We leave the hustle and the bustle of the city with all his cares and his concerns and his noise and his distractions. And we walk across this field, gently going downward toward the forest. And off to the right, we see a lake with the reflection of the mountain gently bouncing off of the water. And the forest is growing larger and larger as step by step we get closer to it. And the psalmist stops. And he just takes it all in. His eyes are roaming, wishing that he could be everywhere at once. He wants to be on the mountains. He wants to be by the water. He wants to be in the forest. This is the first stop. And when you look in his eyes, you see this pure joy of what he sees. And I want you to listen to these first three voices and hear the emotion that comes out. And try to feel what the psalmist feels. Because this is how we want to praise God. And this is what we want when we praise God. So the first three voice, verses of Psalm 33 says this. 
Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Did you catch the emotion? Did you catch the excitement in here? He says, shout for joy. Give thanks. Make a melody. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with loud shouts. See, this is no bland duty to perform. Right? This is a heart. This is a heart that's overflowing. So think of it like this. Think of a child, right? For weeks and weeks and weeks, they wanted this toy. And their parents give them this toy after this dreaming and dreaming of weeks. And what, do the, what does the child do? They shout. They laugh. They jump up and down. They say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, over and over, right? And this is what the psalmist is feeling. This is what he's trying to convey. And this is what he wants you to get. He says, praise befits the upright. We can use the word uh, saved as a substitute for righteous. We could even um, use the word appropriate instead of befits. We don't really use the word befits, right? But the idea is this. It is appropriate. It is natural. It is right. It is normal to praise God during these situations. Just like this child, right? It's right that they get excited. It's right that they jump up and down. It's right that they say thank you. And in their happiness... And their thankfulness, their satisfaction, these things cannot be contained. These things spill over, and we automatically see it. They feel whole. They feel complete. Life is good for them. And see, that's how praise is, and that's how God has designed praise. Because it's natural. It's a natural response um, for God's people because of who God is and because of what God has done. So the psalmist goes on, and in this passage he says, Sing to him a new song. Sing to him a new song. So this could actually be a new song with a new tune. If you're a musician, you play guitar, you play piano, you just sing. It could be a brand new song. Or it could be singing new words to an old tune, a tune that you already know when you're just driving along or you're hiking in the woods or you're walking along and you see it. And this, this song comes up and you just make up your own words. Or you know what it could be too? It could be singing that song that you've sang a thousand times before, but your heart and your mind feel it. Think of the song, The Heart of Worship. It says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I've made it, because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. So this is what it means to sing a new song. It means to feel it with our heart, to feel it with our soul, and to sing out to God. Or like I say, that same song you've sung a thousand times, it clicks, and you feel it. Um, so what should we praise God for? What are the things that we should praise God for? Sometimes it's clear and sometimes it's very, very obvious. We've been praying for something and God has answered the prayer. We got the job. The sickness was healed. The relationship was restored. And that's a way that we praise God. That's one of the ways that we praise God. And that's called thanksgiving. We're thanking God for the things that he has given us. And in this situation, as we pray, as we praise, we praise God by recognizing some things about him. We recognize his power. We recognize his work. We recognize his sovereignty. We recognize his love and his compassion. But there are times when things don't go the way you want them to go, when you don't get the job, when you don't get healed, when that relationship doesn't get restored. Can you still praise God then? The answer is yes. And what do you praise him for? You praise him for the exact same things. You praise God by recognizing his power, his work, his sovereignty, his love, and his compassion. So someone cut two pictures of, of uh, people who praise God during these difficult times. First of all, think of Job. So Satan comes to God and he says this. 
He says, does Job fear you for no reason at all? Haven't you put a hedge around him? Haven't you housed in all he has on every single side? You have blessed the work of his hands. The, his possessions in the land have just increased. But you stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to his face. Satan is saying, look, if you take away these things that Jacob is, that, <laughs> Jacob, that, Job, that Job is thankful for, he will no longer be thankful. In fact, he's going to be the opposite, and he's going to curse you. So God allows Satan to do this, and Satan takes away all of Job's property as well as his children. And listen to what Job does. It says, then Job rose and, arose, and he tore his robe. That's the sign that, um, of um, sadness and sorrow, right? He says, Job rose, tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground, and he worshipped. And he worshipped. He did both. He felt it acutely. It wasn't a lack of feeling. It wasn't, you know, nothing at all. But he did all those things, and he worshipped God. And this is what he said. Naked I came from my mother's room. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Later on, he loses his health. Things are really, really looking dark at this point. And he says this, Though he slay me, though God slay me, I will hope in him. So during these times, Job still praised God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Think of these three guys, right? They refused to serve false gods. They refused to worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And they are sentenced to death. They are to be thrown into the furnace. They are to be thrown into the fire. And King Nebuchadnezzar says to them, If you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast in the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that's going to deliver you out of my hands? And listen to their answer. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't even need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, what you're about to do, throw us in this furnace... The God whom we save is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve gods. And we will not worship the golden idol that you are setting up. They are saying God has the power to save them. They see God's power. They see his sovereignty. They see his love. They see his compassion. But even if he chooses not to, they still worship God. They're praising God for his power, for his sovereignty, even when things look bad, even when these things are absolute worse. Now, why did I go into so much detail with those two stories when the only question I asked was, what should we praise him for? Here's the reason. Because we praise God for who he is and not just for what's happening in our lives. Let me say that again. We praise God for who he is and not just for what's happening in our lives. When we praise God, we want to praise him because he is God. And we want to see him as God in all of his power and all of his glory. And this is what this psalmist does. He praises God for his character, for his power, for his saving grace. So we want to look at these three things. We want to look at his character, his power, and his saving grace. Because this is along our uh, Path, this is where the psalmist stops. This is where he looks at this great forest. So, the psalmist takes us deep into the forest, to the old part, to the heart of the forest itself, to where the trees are ancient, and we stop at the base of the majestic tree. How long has it been here? When was the tree born? What has happened during its lifetime? 
This tree was the start of the forest, the most important one of all. Without this tree, there would be no forest. The psalmist knows that if we are to understand this forest, that we must start here. And then he tells us this. If we are really to understand how to praise God, we must start by looking at his character. We must start by looking at the character of God. One of the commentators says this. It's characteristics of the, of the uh, Bible to place the moral attributes in the foreground as the chief reason for rejoicing in the Lord. A poet would have put first the splendor and the variety of God's works. A philosopher would have put first the, the infinity, the eternity, the absolute existence of God. But scripture puts first that which is of most concerns us and the thing that is God's highest glory, which is his character. Verse 4 says this, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all of his work is done in faithfulness. One author puts it this way, The words and works are exponents of his character. The word is the idea, and the work is the fact. The word is the promise, and the work is the performance. It is by his words and his works that God reveals himself. They are the expression and the embodiment of his eternal purpose. See, God's word can be trusted. God's word can be trusted. And the work, the things that we see, are a result of God's work being trusted. And it's the proof of God's work being trusted. If God says he will do it, he will do it. And this is where the psalmist starts. And then he goes on, he says he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of God. God loves righteousness and justice, which means he hates anything that's the opposite. He hates unrighteousness. He hates injustice. When God looks out and he sees the unrighteous things that are done and the injustice that takes place, he hates it. When he looks out and he sees the good things that are being done, he loves it. When he sees you doing these good things, he loves it. The psalmist says the earth is full of God's steadfast love. Steadfast love means it won't give up. He will keep on loving you. He won't give up on you. He who started a good work in you will finish it. See, God's work is upright. His work is done as faithfulness. He loves justice and righteousness. His love is steadfastness. And that is who God is. That is what his character is. And so when you praise God, praise him for these things. His word, his work, his love, his righteousness, his justice. So we leave that part of the forest. The psalmist takes us on. And as we're walking along, we come to a sheer rock wall. Rock wall goes straight up. How far does it go? We can't tell. Could we climb it? The adventurous, the adventurer in us says, I want to try the part of us that wants to live just wants to cry. So we go around to the side, and we climb up an easier trail, and we get to the top, and we stand on the very edge, and we look down, and vertigo creeps into our hearts and into our throat. And we, and we look out, and we see the top of the forest, and we see this valley stretching out, and we see a lake in a distance that just looks like a small mirror. And the breath the, I'm sorry, the, the beauty and the view takes our breath away. And we see God's power in creation. We see his majesty. And the psalmist praises God. Night falls. The fire is slowly burning. We look into the sky. 
We see the stars. We see the planets. And the psalmist praises God. And he realizes in this very moment the power of God. Because God only had to speak and all of this came to be. Verses 6 through 9. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth all of their host. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. See, everything it took to create everything, God only spoke. And that was it. Nothing more. And everything was created. God only spoke. The psalmist looks back at that power God only spoke and everything came to be. He looks back at that power and he reels back and he says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. God's power is worthy of our praise. God's power is one of the things that we praise God for. So the next morning we wake up and we're on our way and we find a stream and we walk along the stream for a little while. And that stream connects to another stream. And we follow that stream. And eventually both of the streams flow into the river. And the psalmist looks at those streams, each one trying to go its own way, but all of them coming together, all of them flowing into that one river. And the psalmist says, this is like God's power over the nations, over the governments, over all of their plans. Verses 10 to 12 says this, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his hearts to all generation. Blessed is the nation whose, Lord, whose God is Lord and the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. He says God brings the counsels of nations to nothing, but God's counsel stands forever. God's counsel stands forever. Nothing can alter it. He says blessed is the nation whose God is Lord. What counsel does he bring to nothing? All human counsels that oppose him. Any nation that opposes him, he will bring their plans to nothing. But any nation who proclaims that God is Lord will be blessed. And the psalmist sees this. He sees it and he thinks about it. And he praises God for his sovereignty in directing the courses of nations. In directing all of these things. So we leave the river. And we're walking a little while. Pretty noisily, actually. And the psalmist shushes us. We're walking too loud. We're talking too loud. So we be quiet. And we walk on for the next hour. And we don't say a single word. And he points to a thicket. And right at the edge we see a rabbit eating a blade of forest grass. We move on and he points through the bushes. And we see two eyes looking at us. And we look a little bit longer and we see two more. And then we see two more after that. It's a mother deer. And it's two fawns. He points upward and we see a hawk slowly circling above, wide-sweeping wide arc, seeing everything that is below. And the psalmist tells us God is like this. He sees all the rabbits. He sees all the deers. He sees the hawks above and he sees the mice below. And even more than that, he sees all of us, every one of us, at all times. And he praises God. He says in verses 13 through 15, the Lord looks down from heaven, and he sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes their deeds. 
See, God's power reaches down to every single person. He sees you. He knows you. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows what you're feeling, all of these things. And it's of a great, great, great comfort to us that he knows that. And it should be. That's one of the reasons this is in there. However, that always means the opposite too, right? It means he sees everything. It means he sees everything you do. No one can hide, right? You cannot hide from God. He sees everything that you do. And really when we look at it, who can stand before him blameless? Who can stand before him without fault? Who can be saved when God looks down and sees them? The psalmist now turns the corner. We're back to the river, and it's deep here. And we need to get across. But all we see is a broken bridge. How are we going to get to the other side? The bridge is broken. It's too deep to wade through. And we can't possibly swim with our backpacks and all of our gear with us. And the psalmist stops. And he tells us about God's power to save. The first thing he tells us is, what do people normally look for in times of need? What do they look for? They look for the strength of men. They look to their own strength. They look to strength of others, that they can do it themselves or others can do it. This is the first place that we naturally go. But mankind cannot save us, and we cannot save us. He says in verses 16 to 17, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by his great might it cannot rescue See, no matter how strong a king is, or an army is, or even a warrior, no matter how strong they are, they cannot save. How can any one of those save anyone from the power of God? The power of God who created them, who rules nations, who sees them all, they simply cannot save. Only God can save. Verses 18 and 19, he says this, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. God looks at those who fear him, at those who stand in awe of him, at those who glorify him, to those who hope in him and don't hope in man, who hope in his steadfast, unfailing love, and he delivers their souls from death. How does he do this? How does he do this? Because the psalmist has just got done telling us that God loves righteousness and justice Therefore, it means he hates unrighteousness. What is unrighteousness? Anything that's not righteous. Anything, that's, anything that is wrong. Anything that is a sin. God hates these sins. So if he loves justice, then he must love to see unrighteousness judged. And he hates it when wrongdoing, when sin goes without punishment. So what's the answer to this? The answer is that Jesus Christ took the punishment for us on the cross. The psalmist lived before Jesus, and so he said, those who fear him, those who hope in a steadfast love. Who are those people now? They are the ones who repent of their sins, who ask God to forgive them, who believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins, and who died for them, who took away their sins, and will bring them to heaven one day. These are the ones that are saved. You know, Toby came up and gave us a word, and he said, you know, I think some people here need to hear this, either for the first time or just to hear it again. It is exactly what this passage is saying, identical to that in the New Testament. Let me read it again. Um, 
It's from 1 Peter 3, verse 18. He said, For Christ also suffered once for sins. Now listen to this. The righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. This is how he's able to do this. So, the psalmist walks down to the bank of the river, and he disappears underneath the branches of the tree that was stretched over the river, and he pulls a rope. And out of the shade comes a rowboat. And we climb in, and we go to the other side. Our trip is almost over, and we sit down to eat the last of our food, the last meal before we part. And we're going to be sad to leave the forest, and we're going to miss the psalmist, but we will always remember this trip. And when we're talking to him, we tell him this. We tell him how we feel, how we feel like we're going to be changed forever because of the memory of this place, because of being with him, and because of learning how to praise God. And he tells us it is true. He says, you will be changed. Something happens to you when you praise God. Let's read verses 20 to 22 to find out. It says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him. Because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us. Even as we hope in you. See, as we set out to praise God we change. When we praise God, our hearts change. We wait for Him. We trust Him. We become glad in Him. We hope in Him. We pray to Him. The psalmist says, the Lord is our help and our shield. This help and shield, this is the God who has the power to create planets, to guide nations, whose counsel lasts forever and cannot be thwarted by anybody at all. This is the God who loves us. And this is the God who helps us. This is the God who is our shield. And that's why we can trust him. That's why we can be glad in him. That's why we can wait for him. And that's why we can hope in him. So when we step back and we think about God, and we think about his character, and we think about his power, and we think about his love, and we think that this is the God who cares for us, who sees us, who is with us all the time, we just naturally trust him. We naturally hope in him. We naturally love him more. Our faith grows when we praise God. We now leave the forest. We're walking out in the sunshine. We're out in the sunshine. We walk across the field. We say goodbye to the psalmist. And the psalmist turns and goes his way. And we turn and we go our way. And after a while we feel a twinge. What if we forget? What if we get back to life and this was just a memory that fades in time? How do we remember to praise God? How do we praise Him? How do we praise Him when our hearts don't feel like praising Him? If you don't know where to start, I would suggest starting with Scripture, reading Scripture. George Mueller was a man of faith, and George Mueller was known as a man of prayer. And one of his peers said this about him. He said, Mr. Mueller, who was a man living near to God, whose every word is a pearl, said the other day, sometimes when I go into my closet to pray, I find I cannot pray as I would. What do I do then? Why, well, since I cannot speak to the Lord, I beg the Lord to speak to me. 
And therefore I open the scriptures and I read my portion and then I find the Lord gives me matter for prayer. Think about it. A man of prayer who cannot pray. A man of prayer who cannot pray. What does he do? He goes in and he reads the Bible. And he asks God to give him things to pray for. And God gives him things to pray for. I can say that same thing about praise, right? If you can't think of anything to praise, if your heart isn't warmed up to the thought of praise, grab your Bible and read from it. And ask God to give you things to praise him for. And then when you read it, look. See if you can find something to praise God for. And you will praise God because of this at all. In addition, I would suggest to this, read through some of the hymns. Read through some of our worship songs. As you came in uh, this morning, if you were in here on the table, there was a sheet that has all our words to the songs. Take these home. Songs and hymns, especially if you have like an old hymn book, um, they're like the Bible distilled. They're like concentrated uh, things. And it's got, the, it's got the theology and the feelings that go with it. It has, you know, scripture and, and praise. They're absolutely wonderful things. Even if you don't, you know, just take those or just switch them off. But if you want to know what to praise, take one of those songs, take one of those hymns. Just go through and, you know, read the words. Even like one of the songs today, all creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with this saying, oh, praise him, hallelujah. And it goes through and through and through. The other ones, the greatest of all transactions, the costliest purchase price. Father, your son's atoning death was given in payment for mine to get me back from slavery, to set me free from change. Think about that and praise God for that. Praise God that, um, you know, he gave for Jesus Christ's atoning death that, you know, that was given in payment for you to buy you back from slavery, to set you free from those chains. Um, so, in closing, remember the story I told you about the child that got the toy? And they jumped up and down and they said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, over and over and over. What do they usually add to that statement? Let's say it's the dad who gave it to them, right? What do they say? They say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Dad, you are the best dad in the entire world, right? You are the best dad in, in the entire world, right? See, thank you, thank you, thank you is thanking God. You are the best dad in the world is praising God. Thanking and praising, they go hand in hand. Any child does this naturally. Shout for the joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Pray skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as you hope, even as we hope in you. Let me close in prayer. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, we want to praise you. Lord, we want to praise you for your character, for your love of righteousness, Lord, for your love of justice, for your hatred of injustice and unrighteousness, Lord. We want to praise you for your power in creation, in creating the world, everything that we see here now, that we experience, the wind we feel on our arms, Lord, the feet we feel, the earth we feel on our feet, Lord. These things were created by you by just saying a word. Nothing else. Your power is beyond imagination. And Lord, your power over nations, Lord, they each want to go their own way. They each want to do their own thing. And let, Lord, your counsel rules. Your counsel reigns. Your counsel is forever, O oh Lord. And your power over us. Lord, you know everything we do. And you take care of us. And you guide us. And you lead us, Lord. And you comfort us. 
You save us, Lord. Your saving power is amazing. Jesus, your death on the cross to save us beyond words, Lord. But let us praise you for that. And Lord, I just pray for your Holy Spirit, Lord, to be in our hearts and in our souls, Lord, so that we might praise you. Let us never forget this day. Let us never forget to praise you, Lord. And Lord, one of those times that we don't feel like praising you, when we see the things in our lives going wrong, and we think that we only praise when things go right, Lord, let us remember your servant Job. Let us remember Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Lord, let us remember your scriptures. Let us take them out and read them, Lord. Let us take out a song or a hymn. Read through those words. And Lord, I just pray that you uh, will give us things to praise, that your spirit will be in us, that our spirits might be united as we praise to you, Lord. And we just thank you now in your precious, your glory, glorious, holy name. Amen.